big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello, and a big warm welcome to you. My name's Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today's topic is loss and death. So clearly a very profound and important topic, particularly when we're talking about children and talking to children about death. So we're going to be sharing lots of our experiences today. But before we say more, I would like to say as Aware Parenting Instructors, Aware Parenting uh, is developed by Aletha Salter. And she's really clear that she uh, that aware parenting doesn't have any set of spiritual or religious beliefs. So we may at, at times share things in this podcast today that that might be some of our own beliefs around death. And so that is uh, that's not aware parenting. So I just wanted to have a little um, caveat there at the beginning. Mm. So Leo, I think mm. I think you wanted to dive in. What would you like to share with yeah, us? Yeah, I, I think, look, we got asked from a few people if we could talk to this topic um, because I think it is one that parents sometimes find challenging as to what is the right thing to say. I don't think there is a right thing to say, but how can they navigate it? How can they talk about it? It is certainly a topic that brings up a lot of fear, a lot of angst for people. It brings up a lot of emotion. Uh, I feel in my own journey, um, I have been very privileged to be around death uh, quite a bit and I have incredible um, gratitude and have experienced incredible sacredness in death, a lot of beautiful reverence and and Grace, um, in working in birth for nearly 17 years, I had an incredible experience, a few in- experiences of, of birth and death in the same moments um, with quite a few babies. I was very lucky to be with actually a few of my friends who had babies that were born early or babies that were born still. And um, they have been some of the most... Uh, the most incredible gifts in my life being in those moments. Um, you know, for me, birth and death, it's, it's very similar energy that happens, you know, when we're waiting for a baby to come, you never know how long it's going to take. It's the same with death on some level. We never know when it's going to happen. Um, often it just is when the time is right. Same with babies being born. And I often found in my experiences of birth and death and also some other experiences I've had with death, it has very much been sitting in that exact same energy of possibility and holding for love and connection and compassion. You know, what I would bring as a doula to someone when they were birthing was exactly the same energy that was often there when I was with someone when they were dying. And I always have just felt it was just such a privilege to be there and also just completely um, expanded in the experience, which I know is not a lot of people's experience of death, but I think in having a deep trust of, I guess, life and people's journey of when they come and when they go, it has shown me that to be able to sit in that place of trust and spaciousness, even though there is grief and there is sadness, that there is so much beauty that comes from that. And, um, 
I, you know, for a long time, I actually wanted to work in death more because I just thought I'd, I'd like to be there to support parents who knew their babies weren't going to make it or if children were terminal. And um, and I think probably at some point in my career, I will move more into doing that. I had to say no, though, at some point, because I was like, oh, I've just been on call for a very long time working in birth. I had to find myself some more regular hours, I think, because it, it happens when it, when it needs to happen. You know, I, I think... Um, you know, what we wanted to discuss today is how we maybe have these conversations with our children or, or how we can navigate a situation, you know, with awareness around this topic. Um, you know, I, again, I have many stories to tell around this and some will share, but I think one that really sits, you know, so dear to my heart are some beautiful friends of ours, their son. Um, he, he had, you know, he wasn't expected to live for a long time. He was nearly 17 when it came time that he um, was ready to pass. He had cerebral palsy and a few different other things going on in his beautiful little body. And so it, they knew it was getting closer for him to pass. Um, his name was Oscar. He was so beautiful. And as I supported my friends through that journey and being able to sit there in the realness around that through the tears and then there was often laughter and then there was um, just quietness and space and, you know, they were so beautifully held through this journey as he was in palliative care. When he did finally pass, you know, my, my beautiful friend looked at me and she just kept saying, he's free, he's free. You know, he had a lot of struggles with his body in his lifetime and the sense of joy and elation that he was now, you know, perhaps not suffering in the pain that he'd been in a lot of his, his life, but the absolute magnificence of beauty that came with his passing was something that will never leave me because I think it was such a gift to, to know what that felt like to be present for the time that we have. And then when it's time to finish there, you know, of course there is loss and of course there's a lot of sadness and, and I know my beautiful friends miss their boy a lot, but they, they feel him around, you know, and, and navigating that with their other children of what does that mean and where it has, has been just one of the most magnificent gifts for me in my life. I'm so grateful to them. So grateful for Oscar for letting us be part of that. It was extraordinary. And my children got to be part of that experience as well. They were around when that happened. And we'll talk a little bit later about how children process, but I think I just wanted to start this podcast by, for people that do often feel very frightened around death or it feels there is trauma around it or perhaps that, um, you know, that, that there's a lot of fear that sits there for them that I just wanted to offer that there can be enormous beauty in death and in finishing and in loss sometimes. And I know that's not the case for everybody, but I just wanted to open that up that that, that exists as well. Oh, it always so, feels so touching when I hear your story and, and sharings about Oscar and and some of what you're going to be sharing more of I've um, shared with people over the years. So I really appreciate you sharing that story and, and your beautiful wisdom and, and love that you bring to this conversation. So thank mm. you, lovely. Mm. Thank you. Um, mm. I was actually thinking too, when I, when I was hearing you speak and thinking about my own experiences around death and particularly uh, the two of the, the, well, one of the, the biggest experiences for me in, in my family and for my children was when my dad left his body. So you, you'll be seeing the, the ways that we, that we use to talk about death. So you, you talk about passing, I use leaving our bodies. So 
I find it really helpful when we're when we're thinking about death and talking to our children that we are going to be passing our own beliefs along to them or we're going to be sharing our beliefs with them so I think it's really important as a parent to to get really clear what those are and you know we may we may not even know and that might be part of the conversation I think it's really important to be to be thinking about those things what what does it mean for us what do we believe about death and life and um Similarly, I was remembering when my dad left his body. So he had about um, six weeks where we knew he was leaving and uh, we flew over me and my uh, son and my daughter. So my daughter was, I think she was six and my son was two at the time. So we flew over there to be with him in his final weeks. And we, uh, we spent many, many hours. He was at home. So we spent many hours with him and my mum was there with him all the time. And um it's funny you talking, not funny, but you're talking about birth and death because I've been thinking as well, similarly, that my daughter had been present at the birth of my son. So a couple of years before, we'd had a, an unassisted, a free birth at home, and she was there present with that experience. And so then uh, a couple of years later, when my dad left his body, we were also I'm incredibly grateful that we got to do that again. You know, this is the way we do it in our family. It was at home. It was There was nobody else. It was just family. And it was such an incredibly profound experience and all the weeks beforehand, all the synchronicities, all the amazing things that happened. And I went from literally being terrified. It was one of the most terrifying things for me to imagine my dad dying. I'd been scared about it for years and years and years. But actually when the time came and all those weeks that we had that, um, that opportunity to really just to, to connect and be together and to, to be with him in that that stage of his journey that when he did actually leave it was one evening and my son had just gone to sleep so it was me and my mum and my daughter so she was only six at the time and we sat there with him and I held his hand and talked talked him through about what might happen and it was an incredible and profound journey and it really supported me in in um really in a deep felt sense level understanding that there is uh, on my own personal experience and my belief uh, that there is something more to death and that death can be an incredibly profound and beautiful experience and i know that isn't as you said it's not the case for everyone but similarly it's so so similar the the birth and the death and i think in our culture you know we have colonized culture you know and go on about that but we really have removed birth and death haven't we from everyday experience it's something that's generally done um, behind closed doors uh, many of us don't get to see birth or death until it's someone very very close to us it's not something that happens um, with openness and um, welcoming in uh, in this culture and I think there's something incredibly beautiful if we want to to actually bring that those experiences home and to be present and loving and compassionate um, and, and bring so much consciousness and love because they then be, can become, you know, an entirely, I mean, they really are the, the biggest rites of passage, aren't they, to be with around birth and death. And I mm. think that's what we have probably shared love and passion for is to actually welcome and um, not, not so much welcome, but like invite back the meaning and the, the mystery and the magic of birth and death and and in order to do that, I think we really need to reclaim that. We need to do a lot of being with our feelings and really connecting to what do we believe? What do we want? How do we want these experiences to be? Um, how much do we want to really reclaim our power? So 
one of the things we did as well is um, we really wanted to have my dad's body at home. So for the three days afterwards, we kept his body there. And again, for me, who'd been terrified of death, to actually, you know, go in and have a look in there and see what his body was looking like and to actually get that opportunity was so profound. And so, um, you know, it will be there are things I will never, ever forget. So mm. really appreciating the conversation with you, Lau. Mm. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I love, I can just imagine that being with your dad and, and holding that space. I, I was saying to the, one of my groups the other day, about um we were talking about authenticity and talking about being real and uh, i was saying that i really reflect on why i think i loved working with birth and death is because it cuts out all the crap it's just the it's the realness of life and the rawness and and all the other stories and stuff that we have going on often disappear because um because in those moments what we're doing is we are able to be present and real and we are expressing and feeling our feelings and I think that's what appealed to me so much around this work and and why I do I feel often drawn to it because it kind of cuts away all the stuff and it just gets to the depth and and you know so often you know we as we talk about a lot in this podcast we we hide from our feelings we run away from them or we don't want to feel them and because we're human and I think there's something about birth and death that really calls us to be real and open and um and connected so it can be amazing and and you know i think what i really wanted to share with parents in this podcast is particularly around helping our children navigate these things because ultimately our children are going to have loss and they are going to experience death in their life and whether that's a pet whether it's the goldfish or the guinea pig whether that's a grandparent, whether that's a friend, whether and whether that's not even just death but loss in the sense of someone moving away or then something shifting and changing, the grief that we can feel around that is a really important feeling of expression. It's a really important thing that I, I you know, is whether we're parenting that we want to feel and express so that we don't internalise that and don't hold on to it. And I think what I have... Um, I guess, learned with my own children and just some of the experiences I've had is it comes back to all the stuff we always talk about, about trusting our children of knowing what they need to do to process loss and to process grief and death. And, you know, obviously from an aware parenting point of view, you know, we talk about holding space for their feelings, for them to, to cry or rage or move whatever's sitting there around, how that feels for them but also holding space for laughter and for silliness and lots of big expression of feelings that can, can look sometimes very unappealing and just be like, well, that seems inappropriate, but is their perfect way of them helping to navigate and process what they're feeling in those times. Um, a few stories. I just want to talk one firstly about loss. You know, when my youngest was about seven or eight, her best friend left to go and live overseas. And it was the first kind of big loss my daughter had had. And she grieved really hard for her friends. Like every day she'd be like, I miss her so much. And she would write songs for her friend. And she I remember one time I walked into the bathroom and she's sitting on the bathroom floor and she's like, I'm feeling all the sad feelings about her not being here anymore. And she's like, this is the song I've written for her. And it was so, it was so divine, this song of like, you've taken my heart with you and I will miss you forever. It was just, it was just the most magnificent 
seven-year-old interpretation of it's like you know if she had a guitar and she could write country and western that's what it would have sounded like <laughs> it was so beautiful and I remember thinking at the time oh you know I probably should do some more play with her or I've listened to her feelings but that experience really taught me that she had to process that in her own time and it took months it took a really long time and you know part of me get crying what am I missing here or I should do this or do that until I realized that it had to be on her time and when she finally was ready to stop grieving that she just stopped and just moved on and rarely talked about it anymore and it was a really beautiful reminder for me that our children will work in their own time in their own pace and to um to trust that so you know that was a, a quite an interesting experience around her just with loss on that level but I think one of the, the stories I did want to share, particularly around, um, you know, beautiful Oscar passing is that my kids were around for that time. And, um, and my kids were with um, Oscar's siblings who were similar ages and um, the, the bigger kids were kind of tweens at that time. So I think they were about like 12, 13. And what they would often do, we were, we were at this beautiful place where they were looking after Oscar. The, the tweens would go and do some like computer games and then they'd come downstairs and they'd laugh and they'd eat and then they'd go outside and hang around and almost like play chasey, move their bodies or something. And then they'd come back in and it was really interesting just watching them move ebb and flow of being involved taking a break but I think the thing that was really amazing to watch is that my youngest daughter and her friend at the time were probably about eight or nine or so and they started playing all these really interesting games about death so you know whilst he was getting ready to pass and the adults were around and there was obviously lots of tears from us um, the, the girls were playing this game where they stood up the top of the stairs and they had this doll, like a toy doll, and they were throwing the toy doll down the stairs and they were yelling at the top of their voices, die, baby, die. And we're all like, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? And then they would cackle hysterically, run down the stairs, pick up the baby, take it back up again and then throw it down again and laugh and laugh and laugh. And then they would get down to the bottom and they'd go, all right, let's give it a funeral. And they went outside to bury it in the garden. <laughs> And my beautiful friend at the time was looking at me. She's like, is this okay? And I was like, this is perfect because they are free to do what they need to do to process what is happening in this moment. And I can really appreciate from the outside that might've looked very uncomfortable for people. But I think, you know, I have such deep trust that children are doing what they need to. They moved through different versions of this game, yelling, laughing, like talking about death, like it was nothing. And then in the quiet times, they would come in and they would actually sit with Oscar and they would be incredibly, rev you know, they would sit there with stillness and presence and complete love. And they would just sit there in silence for like 15, 20 minutes at a time. And then they'd go out and then they'd go and play again. And it was just exquisite to watch what they needed to do to really process a whole lot of adults' feelings that were pretty big as well as their own feelings around what was happening. It was, it was so magnificent to witness and watch and just know that they were doing what they needed to. And then after um, beautiful Oscar passed on, you know, of course I was really, really deeply just staying connected to my kids and watching and we would talk a lot and really checking with how they were feeling. And then different games that my youngest one would, would um, 
like start wanting to play would be around things. She'd say random things like if, you know, you had to kill someone in the family, who would you kill first? And we're all like, Oh God, that sounds a bit morbid. And then she'd laugh hysterically. And then we all had to go around talking about who was going to die first. And the laughter that came from this very strange morbid game we were playing was so incredible. And, and then she wanted to talk about extended family, who was going to die first, who was first on the list. And just, it was, it was so hysterical that all of five of us were like crying with laughter. And I remember thinking again, you know, this is a really beautiful way that she's processing what has happened. You know, my kids who were a bit older, I think had a bit more ability to understand and process it. But for her being at a young age, she really had to find her way to make sense of it. And she thought it was such a fun game. She used to say to us, next time someone comes over for dinner, can we play the who you, who do you kill first game? And I was like, um, I don't know if that'll be appropriate <laughs> with some others coming in. Um, you know, and look again, I really trusted that that's what she needed to do to make sense of what is death. We have, we had to laugh a lot around it. We had to bring some lightness to it. We had to just give her the space to process. And then of course there were other times where there was tears and she would ask questions around where's his body now and what happens with this. And it was, it, I just feel like I'm so grateful to our beautiful friends who allowed us to be part of that because it was the most magnificent um, experience for all of us, especially my children to witness death with incredible sacredness and the freedom to express how they felt in all those moments. And, you know, I, I, I hope that any, everybody gets the opportunity to experience it with that much beauty and grace. You know, it really was incredible. I feel so deeply grateful to my friends for, for allowing us to be part of that. But I think in sharing that story, you know, for parents who have experienced death or loss, I'm wondering even if you can think about what your kids were wanting to do at that time, what they're wanting to play, what was going on for them and that opportunity for them to process in a way that, you know, allowed them to make sense of it. Mm, so beautiful now. Thank you for sharing. You know, when, when you're talking as well, I was remembering some of the things that happened in the week after my dad had left his body. So, you know, you, anyone listening has probably gathered the, the kind of things that I'm into and uh, what he was into actually. So he had a, um, a cardboard um, coffin because he got his, his body got buried in the, you know, in the forest that was being built and actually got planted on, on the top. So for that whole week we spent, um, me and my children and my sister and her daughter, we, we decorated the cardboard coffin. So we, you know, we drew paintings on it and Lana, my daughter wrote, I'm here, Pa, all, all around the edges. And, and then part of the thing that happened that the, the cardboard coffin came in a, like another cardboard coffin, it kind of came in, you know, in the box that carried it. And that was out in the garden, you know, English summer garden with the daisies on the lawn. And, um, my children at two and six, they put like pillows in it and they would lie in there in the, in the coffin and play all kinds of games in the coffin. <laughs> I was like, similarly like, Oh, okay. that's really <laughs> So just the, you know, they're all different kinds of ways, but really again, just deeply trusting the, all the different ways of, of processing that humans, we're so amazing, aren't we? And our natural innate capacity to, to heal and to process and to come to deep understanding through really being deeply trusted. And I know it can be really um, tempting as a parent to want our children to, you know, not if they're upset to try and maybe distract them, but to really remember the more they get to, to cry and to, 
to really um, to laugh. I mean, that hysterical laughter is so healing, isn't it? It's so freeing. It just frees up so much of the fear and all of the feelings that are there, the confusion, the, the overwhelm. Um, but the more that happens, the paradox is later in life, you know, there's another loss. Those feelings have already been released. So we're not carrying a whole load of unexpressed grief or, or usually if we don't get to express the, the grief and the loss, will often show up as fear we'll be less likely to try new things we'll be less open to new experiences we'll be more afraid of loss paradoxically if we don't get to fully process it so the more we get to actually be with it um, and the more we can really trust our children which of course may mean we need to get lots of listening how is it to see our child crying and crying or laughing hysterically or you know lying in the cup with coffin or whatever it is it's so important that we get enough listening so that we can trust them and support them in their own processing and very important isn't it i love that i love that you really bring that point in of just um supporting ourselves so that we can hold that space for them and be okay and and i'd love that point too of just the more we can feel and express in those moments the less it's going to pile on top of each other for when other things you know it's for when yeah other losses come and i think I was just reflecting as you're talking that, you know, with my own kids and, and I know this is quite a developmental thing for a lot of children is that they will move through phases where they start to ask a lot of questions about death. They start to feel scared. What happens if you die, mummy? Or what happens if daddy dies? Or, and they will ask often a lot of questions around death and, and that can be quite a fear for, for kids at different ages of that something may happen to you. And again, I think I found in my experience that it's been not so much about offering the, I'm never going to die. It's fine. Or, you know, I'm going to live a long time or, or of course they're the guarantees. I think we want to give our children, but I found that what I have said to my children is that must feel scary. The thought of something happening to me or happening to daddy or, and what does that feel like? And creating again, those spaces for them to just talk and cry and process around how that feels that the fear for them of what that might look like. And, and, you know, I, I, for me, I always used to say to my children, you know, I don't know when I'm going to die. You know, I, whenever it is my time, I trust that it is my time. But I will tell you that you will always be looked after. There are people here who love you, not just us, and that I would make sure, you know, that you will always be loved and looked after. You would never be left alone or those kind of things. And so that was always for me that felt like a really good place to sit with it around death is to absolutely acknowledge that they, how they felt scared to hold space for those fears, not try and fix it, but give them reassurance that they would always be safe and loved, you know, in with the people around us who love us. And, and that often I think used to bring some comfort for them. And then they'd move through phases and go, well, can I choose who I'd like to live with? <laughs> go, yes you can <laughs> would you like i did laugh that when my son turned 18 um my younger girls went well you know what if something happens to mum and dad kai you're looking after us now <laughs> and and they're like you're going to be our legal guardian and they had all these really funny conversations around what that would look like and what would happen and kai's looking at me going please don't die like <laughs> because i'm not ready to take care of my two sisters i was like it's all right mate we'll, we'll try and hang around for a lot longer but again some beauty and humor around it there's sorry my dog in the background well i love our podcast we have birds and dogs oh, and you know what there's so many birds just now aren't there? and um uh, i tend to think of the birds as being like the ancestors you know of course 
again in our in our culture colonized culture is very kind of flat flat line isn't it but mm. in most indigenous cultures the the way we relate to our ancestors in other words and, and death and the whole process of death is very you know it's very deep and very profound so mm. as soon as i had that little thought i went oh the birds were all talking here because they're telling us about the ancestors and then they all flew away so there you go and then your dog came in my mm. dog barked everyone's yeah. barking yeah they're all expressing and i think that's a beautiful point here because i have often felt too just in my work with birth and death that just in this culture that we live in here in australia that we don't have many rituals or or a lot of symbolic stuff around death, you know, and in other cultures, perhaps in the Jewish culture or in the indigenous cultures, or, you know, there is often, you know, different things that they do around grief and grieving and that community and holding. And I, I've often found here in Australia that that has felt very lacking for, for me when I've looked around, when I have been part of experiences like that, of how that is held for the family or for, you know, for, for the loss that's happened. And, um, you know, it, it just definitely made me really feel into what would, what would feel beautiful for me, you know, in my passing or what would, what would, you know, it's opened up conversations for my family, for my partner, for my kids, for my parents around what would be a beautiful celebration of your life that would feel good for you and that would help all of us, you know, process. And these are sometimes beautiful conversations to have as much as they can feel confronting and painful. You know, what would it, what would it be? I love my beautiful um, Hungarian father-in-law. He often jokes, he says to me, Leo, you got to promise me if I die, it's a party. If anyone is sad and I'm like, we're allowed to cry. And he's like, no, I want you to have a party. Cause you know, I love dancing. Everyone has to dance, you know? And so he, he said to me, and I want there to be this and food and that for, you know, and he's just, I, I love it. We often have a laugh and a joke about it, which, um, which is, is it brings real beauty, you know, I think around it. Mm, I'd love to share there my experience. Um, uh, I don't like the word miscarriage because I, I, the, the meaning I don't enjoy, but um, in between my two children, I lost a baby at 12 weeks gestation. And um, I was really grateful that I knew about the power of laughter because at some, at one point when the, the, the little being's body was, was leaving, I found myself laughing with, with the, the father of my children and as well as crying and all kinds of different feelings. So again, it was really helpful to understand that. And what we did afterwards, and um, he's, if you've listened to the, the podcast that he and I did on fathers, you'll know he's really into ritual and I'm really grateful. So he always comes along whenever one of our, the, our animal friends dies but also for that that baby that was lost that we did this incredible beautiful ritual so we we uh, took the little body up and we went up into the hills this beautiful place on the on the ridge because you know we live in the countryside and we did this uh, amazing ritual and my daughter was there so again she was about three at the time and we we read poems and I, uh, I've actually got it on my website, the whole story. And we cried and we laughed and it was so incredibly beautiful. And for me, what ritual does, and you know, even, even in our culture, we still in uh, colonized culture, we still have some vestiges, you know, don't we at a funeral. It still has some of the elements of a ritual. It doesn't have all of them, but it's got enough. And there's, there's something about ritual that it, 
supports the the process of grieving and letting go and i find for me you know whether it's the one of the rabbits has died and we we do a ritual at the bottom of the garden and just say some words and put the flowers on the on the grave or that time that was so profound with that with the little baby is um that really supports the the processing to happen in a way that I always feel this kind of sense of there's something lighter in me after that process. And I know for me, I did a lot of crying and we had that beautiful ritual and I really had released all the feelings of loss around that, around that baby and um, conceived again three months later that was sunny. And, you know, there's something about really, as we were talking about before, when we get to really um, feel something fully and to cry and to honor and to mark and to talk about, which again, in our culture, we don't often, you know, death isn't talked about as openly as I think it really needs to be. So I talked about it a lot and I'm sure anyone who's um, had a, uh, a baby leave before, before their time, well, I don't even put it in that way, but I'm trying to not use the word miscarriage, but anyone, anyone who's experienced that and who talks to other people, you've probably found so many people saying, wow, you know, I experienced that. I didn't, I did. There's so many women who have that experience, but again, it's just not talked about. And imagine if we lived in a culture that was really comfortable with, with the wailing and the talking about and the crying and the marking of that. You think about the um, the Mexican, I don't even know how to, to say it in Spanish, but the, the day of the dead, you know, the ways of really honoring death and marking it and connecting with our ancestors and, you know, celebrating those who have gone before us and those who have left, um, even though they came after us. It's just, it changes our whole experience of life, doesn't it? You know, <sighs> like I could, I could really welcome in the next baby. But, and I, and I know people say to me about, you know, how is it for you? You lost that baby. Well, I just, you know, I grieved it at the time. So it just doesn't, you know, I can still feel touched. And I remember that, but I don't, I didn't carry the grief because I really did what I needed to do at the time. Mm, I love that, Mary. And I can really feel that. And there's a completion on some level that allows us to move forward. And like we say, not carrying those pieces, perhaps that, that we store inside and then get layered upon as you were talking about that beautiful ritual of your, your baby, um, you know, I think I shared this just late last year, my grandmother died and she, you know, she was 99 and, um, you know, the matriarch, she's, she's comes through my mother line. And, um, and so we were there just when she died and, and I was with my, my aunt, who's my mum's twin sister and my cousin and, and my mum was unfortunately overseas, but I felt, you know, so, move that this is the woman that I came through, you know, and, and I think about that, you know, when, you know, I'm sure some people have seen this before when you, um, you know, you're, you exist in the ovaries of your mother who is inside your grandmother. Right. And so I was like, wow. So my mother and her twin sister and my cousin, and we were all in, in grandma. Uh, and I guess, you know, I just said, let's honor her body. Let's thank her for giving us this life. And we, when she passed, we washed her body and then we rubbed cream and oil into it. And as we did that, um, you know, we just thanked her and honored her for, for being who she was that allowed us to come through her. It was incredibly beautiful. And we, and we had music and it was just, it was simple, but it was so profound as a, an act of gratitude and a finishing off you know, of just that, of honoring somebody's life. And I think there's so many beautiful, simple things that we can do to, to honor that and to bring the sacredness into it. 
and I think that, you know, particularly with death, with my kids and, you know, they know that I have been part of death sometimes with some of the people I've worked with or some of my friends who've lost babies and, and I've often shared really openly the stories of what happened and they've always been really interested and they've asked questions. And for me, I guess in our family, I've always wanted it to be something they can talk about. They can grieve openly around. We can all discuss and talk about it. And I think what I've also discovered in working with families for a long time that our children, we, we talk about this in aware parenting, we might say one thing, but if we're feeling something else, our children are feeling what we're feeling. And so often if we're saying one thing, but we're feeling something else, they're going, hang on, this doesn't feel right. And that can often make them feel unsafe sometimes because there's not that that authenticity sitting there. And so they they will often push a bit harder of like, hang on, I want to see what's really happening because you're saying one thing, but I'm feeling something else. And in regards to grief, you know, I guess my invitation to parents would be, be real, own your sadness, like own the feelings that ex- that exist for you. Our children are, are better off in seeing the realness of that than the pretending that, you know, I'm not feeling like I'm fine, I'm okay, but really we're not because it in our authenticity and our permission to really feel, it gives them permission to express and feel in a way that's true for them. And I think I realized how important that is. And, you know, I think particularly with the word parenting, when we hold space for our children with tears and emotions, then because they know how that feels, then when we are upset, they will often come and do the same for us. And it is not their job to do that for us. I make that really clear. It is not our children's job to, to hold space for us. But when we are feeling those things, they are usually okay with it because they're like, oh, you need a good cry. You need a good release. You know, I remember feeling sad at one point with something that had happened in my life. And I went into my bedroom and I was laying down having a cry and all three of my kids came in and sat around me and kind of stroked my head. And one of them was like, just let it out, mama. And I'm like, you guys don't have to do this. And they're like, no, it's okay. Like, and it was just the three of them sat there in this moment. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And then, you know, just looking at their faces made me cry more and then I laughed and then they laughed and it was, it was beautiful. But I think they just got, we can be with this and it is okay. So, so beautiful. So beautiful. Do you know the other thing I'm thinking of as well, and I've experienced this with my children when, when um, pets have died, the animals that live with us is often as well, because grief is so clearly welcomed around death but sometimes if there are other feelings of loss or other tears that haven't quite yet been expressed that it can it can really open the, the space for all for some accumulated from the past feelings to show up too and the same for us you know that's what happens it's like an opportunity to express all grief to anything that there's there's loss around and that could be you know that's why for us if we haven't grieved earlier losses and earlier separations and earlier deaths we they will show up around present time losses or present time death so you know if we had early separations and we haven't yet really grieved or felt the feelings from that they're going to show up Um, Mm -hmm. so i think it's really helpful to know as well that our children may cry really long and hard and some of those feelings may also be about other losses or other separations Mm -hmm. that's really i I, I experienced that with with um one of my children and really really welcomed it like how you know so so, so glad that they, you know, crying really, really long and hard for days and days and days because mm. how wonderful that they're, they're um, 
receiving this opportunity to let as much as possible out. It's such a relief, isn't it, to, to mm. grieve and to mm. let that. Um, so in, in the Marian Method work, I talk about that, that lovingness. The more we can release grief and loss through tears and through mourning and through crying, that actually the more we can actually feel the love, we can feel the love that we are, that we can feel the love for others, we can receive love from others and from the world. So it's a really powerful thing, grief. Grief, love, dying mm. really makes such a difference. Um, such yes. a paradox, isn't it? The more we grieve, the more we require with loving support, the actually the more loving and the more open, the more happy, <laughs> the more connected we feel. Such a totally. Mm. Yeah, I, I just I don't know, I, when I think about death, I just I I guess because I'm so blessed to have had the experiences I have. Mm. And I, I think that I just keep coming back to um, an invitation on some level that if it does feel very scary or challenging for you to, to perhaps delve a little bit further into is there deeper pain and loss that still hasn't been expressed that makes it feel really scary and terrifying for where it may sit for you? You know, that may be a bit of a pathway to, to tune into how it feels for you and then create more space for yourself, whether you get to speak that with someone or just feel how you need to feel. Of course, then it can create more space for your children to process what they need to. And, you know, me, I like looking at the cultural perspective that from a colonized culture that it's really based on separation so most of us as babies were probably at some point taken away maybe in hospital taken away put in a in a cot we would have experienced quite a lot of separation and not actually got to cry and be held in loving arms so it's really normal natural for all of us growing up in this culture to experience separation and not to not have grieved it let alone separation from the cycles of the seasons and the, you know that deep connectedness with the land and with our ancestors mm. so you know, separation and loss and grief are such important things to really reclaim and rather than seeing as like a uh, again, in our, in this culture, I think it's seen as, you know, I don't know, whatever weakness or whatever, it's actually an incredible gift. The more we reclaim and really um, deeply honour the grief and the loss in the morning, the paradox is the more connected we feel. Such, mm. such a wonderful thing. It is. It is. I I think the last thing I want to share is, is um, in raising teenagers, it, you know, it can bring up, lots of fear for parents around letting their kids go, letting them be out in the world. You know, I've shared about this before when we've talked about teens, this sitting in the trust to let them go and experience and be who they need to be. And my beautiful teenagers have given me lots of practice on this because they're, we live in the city. They like to go out, they're, they're, you know, they're living on the edge on some levels. And um, I remember with my son, particularly perhaps when he was 17 and there was one night where, you know, he was, you know, he was always very um, good at coming home at the time that we said we need you to be home by this time. And, and if he was running late, he'd always message us. And, you know, I was sitting there and I was watching this anxiety build in myself because he wasn't home. Um, you know, and he was only a few minutes late, but I was like, is he okay? Is he safe? Like I was really watching myself go through these motions and I had to sit with myself and go, what is the fear here? And the fear is something will happen to him and he'll die. And I had to really go, okay, I need to lean into that. I need to lean into that and, and feel all the feelings that I am perceiving will be with that. 
And where I came to in that experience at 12.30 at night, (laughs) sitting in my dark bedroom, was that, you know, I have to trust that if my son is going to go, he's going to go. And that's, and if it is that something happens and he's young and he dies, even though of course I do not want that, then for me to reconcile that within myself, I had to come to a place of trust of that. That is his journey. And I know we've talked about this before in our podcast that, you know, our children come through this through us, but they are their own beings and they have their own journeys. And, um, you know, I had, you know, we have created a life with boundaries and safety and all those kind of things. And we also said, go and live your life and be who you need to be and, and take risks and experience things and figure out who you are. So I couldn't give him this message of go do life, but actually don't do it. Only do it in the way that makes me feel comfortable because I'm really scared that something's going to happen to you. And I had to, I'll never forget that night. I had to sit there and really just find a place that said in myself, if he, if that's what has to happen, then I have to trust on a bigger picture that that's what it is. Now that they are my own spiritual beliefs here. This is, I know not what everybody sits and this is not an aware parenting thing. This is more about my own spiritual beliefs where I had to find that place within myself to trust that my big fear is that something would happen to him and he would die. And, and I had to come to a place and say, and if that was where it was going to be, that's where it's going to be. And I can't control that. And so I can't control what this is. And all I can come back to is, is deepening my connection with my son, you know, and um, holding him, you know, energetically in the greatness of who he is and, you know, living a beautiful long life together. And then when I shifted that energy to that, I actually stopped worrying. I stopped feeling the need to kind of check in so much or control. And I just kind of went, I have to let him be free. I will have to let him be who he needs to be in the world. And my energetic presence of worry and fear and don't do that is not going to serve him at all. So that, that, you know, getting to that end point of what was the fear was a really important piece for me to move into more trust and knowing that, you know, life is where it is you know, and that we don't know and we often can't control. And, you know, there is that old beautiful saying is why we need to be very present and live in the moment and, you know, enjoy and celebrate all that we have now because we don't know because we don't. And I think in raising teenagers, that's been very helpful for me (laughs) to just go, that's where I need to sit in that place of trust. So, yeah. And he's, he's doing great. He's 20 <laughs> and, he's, and he's, he's, he's moved from, I'm going to take all the risks and do all the crazy stuff. He's now going to come back and go, yeah, all right. Now I'm going to, you know, find my way here. So I'm like, okay, good. Thank you. I definitely, definitely had a son who was like, oh, if there's an edge, let me go find it. So um, thank you, my beautiful son, <laughs> for, for taking me to those places. Mm. Mm, and I really heard you say though about those being your beliefs, but I, I think for me, in terms of death in particular but also birth and that's the places where we do need to find our own meaning our own mythology our own spiritual religious you know we we need to to uh find what we what resonates for us and, and what brings meaning for us i think it's so important as humans to to really yeah find what resonates for us and what makes sense for us and and to know that we can communicate that to our children but also we might say you know this is what i believe to be what happens when we die or you know but there some people believe this and other people believe that and i think it can be really helpful to to number one be really clear about what we believe and and also support our children and depending on their age to to explore and come to their own um, ways of understanding that really resonate for them. We, you know, I think we're, we're meaning making beings and we, 
you need meaning and purpose and Mm. that's beautiful ah what a beautiful juicy rich conversation Mm. thank you for those listeners who were prompting us to go can you talk about this because you know i think there's lots of questions around it so i hope that's given everybody something to feel into or to think about or to maybe store somewhere in the back of their mind in case you know these situations arise for them do you have an invitation marion around this topic Hmm. I suppose I, what I'd like to invite people to connect with is: um, Did you have an experience growing up of of death, and that might be a you know a pet or a a school friend or a, a relative, and you know how was it um, handled in your family? And is there anything you know what would you have loved to have experienced? What would you have loved to have heard? What would you what kind of support would you have really enjoyed? to to yeah what would, and and does that inform you in terms of your own offerings to your own child or children mm, that's really beautiful you just you you just said all the good bits then oh, sorry <laughs> did i pinch them all <laughs> no you just said so many beautiful bits i was like well that's so beautiful um i, I guess all i would just say is is there room somewhere in your thinking to find beauty in death or the sacredness in it, you know, the sacredness we have in birthing, the sacredness we have in living, the sacredness we maybe have in deathing. Like, is there space for that somewhere to, in in your world? Mm. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for being here and, and listening. And we hope this has offered, you know, given you something to feel into and think about and, you know, helping you on your parenting journey. Uh, you can follow us wherever wherever we are to be followed and um you know we love we love your reviews and ratings and sharings thank you everybody for your continued support and if you do have something you'd love us to talk about then you know you can send us a message on our facebook page or instagram and and um you know if we we will leo will respond leo will read them I'll I'll do the t- I'll do all the social media stuff. Oh uh, yeah, no, please send us messages because we'd love to um hear if there's something you'd love us to talk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being here, everyone. Mm, thank you, and so much love to you. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.